Have you ever taken a month-long vacation? This was our first, and I have to say, I'm still not sure if it made it easier or harder to get back to work. While we had all of last week, which was fall break around here, to just reset, my brain is still having a little bit of a hard time switching off Europe and back to piano teaching. So, since this podcast is all about living life as independent teachers, and I know many of you followed our journey on social media, I thought I would take this week to simply share with you, just as I would my real-life local friends. In today's episode, I'll walk you through our month-long trip, where we went, how we planned it, food we ate, piano music that I picked out to gift to my friend's kids, interesting random facts, and more, including a really crazy story. If you're planning a trip to Europe or just want to hear even more fun details, consider jumping over to the blog at pianopantry.com, where I just posted a fun and quite large list of random observations my husband and I put together while traveling. Many of these things are little pieces of advice or discoveries that I think would have been even useful to know ourselves. You can find the link to that blog post in the show notes, along with links to several items that I'll mention in today's episode. Just know that rather than telling you every time I come up with something in the episode that you can find the link in the show notes, just know that if I mention something specific, you can probably find the link there. All right, here we go. Welcome to the Piano Pantry Podcast, where together we live life as independent music teachers. I'm your host, Amy Chaplin. In this space, we talk about all things teacher life related, from organizing our studios to getting dinner on the table and all that comes between. You'll get loads of easily actionable tips on organizing and managing your studio while balancing life and home. Let's set the stage a little bit. My husband Drew and I have never been to Europe, but it has been a dream of mine for a long time. My family hosted multiple exchange students growing up, and many of them were from France, so that country has always been on my sights. After spending a long five years building our house slowly and rarely taking much of a vacation that was more than a long weekend in our 20 years of marriage, I told my husband for our 20th anniversary it was time to go big. We needed it, and he agreed. The plan was just more of a like normal 10 to 14 day trip in the fall, utilizing one week of our fall break here, so I didn't have to shut down my studio for too long. However, after contacting my friend in Germany who we were planning to visit, we realized they were going to be on vacation in that same two week period, and due to their schedule, we would actually need to come three weeks earlier than we intended. I looked at my husband and said, well... I would hate to not utilize fall break, so why don't we just go for a month and then use fall break to recover? Done. Instantly, we became month-long European backpackers. (laughs) This change in schedule is actually what inspired episode number 28 on flexible studio calendars, as I had already published my studio calendar in May and had to go back and completely rethink the school year. Anyway, so... We're the kind of people that prefer to do all of our own planning rather than using like a tour group, but I'll tell you what, it was a lot of work. I did a little bit of planning over the summer, but it wasn't until the summer slowed down that we hit things really hard at the beginning of August, and it took us every bit of our free time over the course of four to seven weeks leading up to the trip. The best advice we took was to carry 
uh, take a carry-on with just one week of clothing. We researched and purchased new luggage, which was the best investment ever for this trip. And what we landed on was an Osprey brand uh, wheeled travel pack. It was 36 liters in size, but it was a carry-on bag with a handle, roller bag, but that also converted to a backpack. That was a whole ordeal having to like pre-pack and figure out like how little we could make do with. We actually had to pack like three times in order to whittle down all of our options properly. Also, honestly, finding the right bag was not easy. Um, Osprey's bags are amazing, but also a little confusing to figure out because they have like men's and women's bags that are the same, but they have a different, a different name. Anyway, luckily we have a great outdoor shop in Fort Wayne and we were able to work with them to figure out our needs. And that is my first recommendation. If you're going to go on a big trip, use just a carry-on that converts to a backpack, preferably, um, but then also take a small backpack as well, like a day pack, which is what we did. It was almost impossible planning every little detail ahead of time. And it's important to us to allow for flexibility. So we planned the path and the big stops and from there improvised and planned each leg of the trip a few days prior. We were super excited that we nailed round trip tickets to Paris from Chicago for 600 bucks a piece or a little less, which we thought was a great price. After arriving in Paris, we took a fast train from Charles de Gaulle Airport directly into Strasbourg, France, and then another train into Mannheim, Germany in the west part of Germany. Now, when we lived in Australia back in 2006 to 2009, my closest friend there was actually German. They were there at the same time doing research and stuff. Um, I haven't seen her for 13 years, so we really wanted to go see them in Cologne, and that was part of our early plans to be able to see them before they left on their trip. Her mom lives near Mannheim, Germany, however, a couple hours south of her, and she offered to host us while we were there as well. So we went to her on the first night, and I can't tell you how nice it was going to a foreign country and having a personal welcome like that. The next morning, we rented a car and embarked on a quick three-day trip down the Romantic Road in southern Germany, and then made a full circle to the southwest to drive through the Black Forest. Highlights on the Romantic Road included Rothenburg Ob der, der Tauber, I think is how you say it. It's a little village that is surrounded by medieval walls, um, and it's kind of towards the northerly end of the Romantic Road. And then our ultimate goal at the end, which was to see the Neuschwanstein Castle, um, which is what like the Disney Princess Castle is um, modeled after, which borders near the Alps on the south side of Germany. Then the Freiburg Cathedral in the Black Forest was absolutely amazing. And Freiburg is in the southwest part of Germany, um, as was an outdoor museum that we visited, which had like 25 houses, barns, and other buildings from all around Germany since like the 1300s. We had a lot of fun driving like through the, the winding roads, tight, narrow, double back roads in the beautiful Black Forest. And then we went to see what was something called the All Saints Abbey, which is a ruin from the, uh, I think it was like 1192. It was gorgeous. So after that quick three-day road trip, we returned to our host in Mannheim, then drove with her the next morning to her daughter's house in Cologne, again, which is in the northwest part of Germany. We spent the first weekend there with her and her family and spent time exploring Cologne, a city which was completely decimated in the war, except for the beautiful, giant Gothic cathedral. 
Now, two of her children take piano lessons, so I was really excited to pick out some music that I took to each of them. For the 14-year-old daughter, I took the Sebastian Sessions by Trevor and Andrea Dow. And for the eight-year-old boy, I took Chrissy Ricker's Let's Quest book with it's like video game-inspired solos. And they super loved them. And my friend messaged me, and especially the younger boy, um, her and or he and his piano teachers super loved that book. I also took a copy of Reflections of Indiana, which is a suite by Melody Bober, since, well, we're from Indiana. I just have to add here that Germany was actually never on my bucket list, but wow, we absolutely loved it. It was beautiful, and we would love to go back and see more some. Um, so I highly recommend traveling Germany. After leaving our friends in Cologne, we took a train to Amsterdam and got to enjoy another really wonderful and fun city that is full of canals and lots and lots of bikes. We are so glad that we didn't try to rent a car in Amsterdam. The city streets are very narrow and everyone gets around on bikes. And the funny thing is, is one, all of the bikes are like really upright, like what we would kind of call granny bikes here. Like there's no like lean over type of bikes. Everybody sits very straight up and they have parking garages, like seriously, like parking garages, four bikes, <laughs> to like two or three levels high. It's crazy. We indulged in some really fun Dutch food there, including bitterballen, which is like a meatball, but the meat inside is more of a paste than a ground meat. They were good, just a different texture. Um, we also had Dutch pancakes, which are a really thin pancake about the size of a medium pizza. And you can do them either sweet or savory, kind of similar to a crepe. Unfortunately, while we were there, it rained a lot, which kind of put a damper on our Amsterdam time. And that was one lesson that we learned is that make sure you have proper rain gear with you, especially if you're going to travel for, you know, more than just a few days somewhere. I had a windbreaker that was lightly waterproof and a small umbrella, which I thought would be enough. And it wasn't. We were poured on during our outdoor country windmill tour and the rain doesn't stop the Dutch. <laughs> I regret not taking my hiking shoes and only having tennis shoes as my best walking shoes as they are not waterproof at all. And I walked in completely soaking wet feet for several hours that day. We had the same experience in London at 1.2, so it wasn't just a one-off thing. So pack good rain gear. One more fun food that we had in the Netherlands was mint tea. And we're not really big tea people, but this was not what you would think of as traditional tea, but it was simply a fresh or a huge handful of fresh mint. And they just poured boiling water on top in a glass, you know, cup. So it was like maybe a 16 ounce cup and you could see the beautiful green color from the mint and it was just absolutely delicious. So that's something I'm going to be making at home, especially in the winter time. All right, next up was London. Originally, again, the city wasn't on our sites, but once we found out that a good friend of ours would be there running the London Marathon while we were there, there was no question. We looked at each other and we're like, we're going to London. <laughs> One of our trains out of the Netherlands, though, was delayed, so we ended up having an eight-hour layover in Brussels, Belgium, which proved to be a great delight. We spent all day exploring the city, and we're thankful at that point, especially for our backpack conversions with all the cobblestones, so we carried our backpacks on our backs a lot of the day. We got to spend a couple of hours actually exploring this amazing musical instruments museum and the outside of the, the building was, oh my gosh, it was just like divine, just gorgeous architecture. 
I think there's this similar museum in Paris as well. Um, I have so many photos from this museum. I actually didn't post any of them on social media at all, but I plan on doing a blog post hopefully soon. So be sure and sign up for my email list if you want to see that blog post so you'll get notified when the post goes live. Uh, I also took the, and again, you can do that in the show notes, <laughs> of course. I took the opportunity while we were in Belgium to make sure that we had waffles. Now, we're not talking here about fluffy Belgian waffles, but something called a Liège waffle. They're a different type of dough that is a lot more dense and slightly more caramelized. It's the only type of waffle that we eat anymore at home. So, psst, jump into the link and get the link in the show notes, okay? <laughs> They're a little bit more work than a traditional waffle, but they are really good. And honestly, we feel like they're good enough, like even by themselves, like they almost don't even need any toppings or um, syrup or anything with them. They're just that good. All right. So London was a lot of fun. We did a big day tour on the top of an open air, like hop on, hop off big red bus, hitting all of the sites like the London Tower, the London Tower Bridge, which by the way, is the big beautiful one that I assume we knew as like the London Bridge from the song. But the actual London bridge from the song is a boring contemporary concrete bridge. <laughs> anyway, um, we saw Westminster Abbey, Big Ben, which, if you don't already know, is the name of the bell, not the tower itself or the clock, and Buckingham Palace. The biggest highlight for me, though, in London was Borough Market, which is on the south side of the river near the Tower of London. And oh my goodness, the food there is amazing. We passed vats of paella and mushroom farro risotto and all kinds of tantalizing things. I actually chose a unique sandwich called a salt beef bagel, which is actually spelled, spelled like beagle, B-E-I-G-E-L. Um, it was something that I think became in the 1940s or something like that to London from the Jewish community is my understanding. And uh, there's a couple of specific restaurants that exist in London to this day that have like the most iconic best ones. Um, but those restaurants, unfortunately, weren't near where we were at. So I got one at the Borough Market and it was delicious anyway. We even had goat's milk ice cream for dessert. I mean, oh, oh my. As mentioned earlier, uh, part of this leg of the trip was watching our friend run the London Marathon. So on Sunday... After our big tour day, um, none of, neither my husband or I had ever watched a marathon or honestly even a cross-country meet, and I can't tell you how exciting it was. What we didn't, didn't even think about and experience at the beginning was the wheelchair chair race. It was amazing. Like Those guys are just oh, so athletic. We had no idea that there was so much energy that goes into a, a marathon race like this, and the, the fun thing is while it's competitive... The runners are also looking for personal bests more than anything. So that's kind of cool. Our friend that we watched, so I'll tell you what, he is a machine. <laughs> he finished the 26.2 mile race in two hours and 42 minutes and placed in like the 600s out of, it's like over 50,000 people that run the marathon. That's like a six minute mile for over 25 miles. It's crazy. <laughs> Once the race was over though, in true London style, we were happy to help him rejuvenate with a big platter of fish and chips and a pint of Guinness. We took the train out of London down to Portsmouth, UK, and boarded an overnight ferry that took us 10 hours across the English Channel to St. Malo, France, which is just on the edge between the Brit Brittany and Normandy regions. 
We had a tiny little cabin to sleep in, and it was very economical as the ticket was basically our travel and hotel for that night in one. My friend from Germany had mentioned that she loved St. Malo, and now I know why. There's a portion of the city that's called Old Town, and it's similar to what we experienced in the German village of Rothenburg, where the city was surrounded entirely in a medieval wall. That's the thing about Europe. Like, just everywhere you look are old buildings, and they are just so beautiful. Like, sometimes I'll be like, oh my gosh, look at that building. What is that? What is that? And I look on Google, and it's like nothing. It's like a business building or something. <laughs> um, and I'm taking pictures of it. So, yeah, it's just all kinds of buildings everywhere. Also, the amount of cobblestone roads is amazing and also quite hard on the feet and luggage, as I mentioned earlier, which is another reason why I wish I had my hiking shoes. Eventually, cobblestones even take a toll on good tennis shoes when you're walking all day. So this part of the trip was our second road trip. We rented another little Fiat car and drove the Normandy region, hitting all of the World War II sites along the northern coast. Before we made it that far, though, we took a stop at the famous Mont Saint-Michel, which is an island with an abbey commune on top where, to this day, 12 monks and nuns live. One staple meal in this region that we looked up while we were there was mussels and fries, and it became one of our favorites of the trip. Neither one of us have ever had mussels. We've had oysters and other seafood, but never mussels. They are just so tiny, and you would get this gigantic bowl of them for like $10-$15, sometimes in a white sauce, but we actually really liked the white wine broth version better. While traveling and seeing all of the Normandy sites, including the British, German, Canadian, and American memorial cemeteries, you know, it was really neat to see and hear how much to this day the people of the region are grateful to the Allies for D-Day and freeing France. There are just like little memorials everywhere you look up and down the coast. We could have easily taken four to five days, although we covered quite a nice amount of things in three. All right, so finishing up the road trip, we circled back around to return the car to St. Malo, then took a train eight hours south to Bordeaux to visit a childhood exchange student and friend. They spent the weekend touring us around Bordeaux. We drove a little bit of wine country, and they introduced us to foods like foie gras, which is a duck or goose liver pate, and snails. These are both items we had never had, and honestly, we enjoyed them thoroughly. I would have never expected that, <laughs> but the foie gras is amazingly like smooth and creamy and really rich. And as for the snails, we had them not like just directly from the, the shell, but it was like a little puff pastry appetizer thingy covered in a green herb butter sauce. And apparently my friend, friend said that snails is kind of more about the sauce than the snail itself. So that was a fun experience. When we were walking around the city of Bordeaux, they stopped at this little pastry shop and bought something called a cannelet, which is a small pastry with a crisp exterior and a soft, moist, custard-like interior. The um, exterior is actually flavored with like a dark rum or cognac. And I can't tell you, my husband became so obsessed with these little things. He promptly ordered a set of copper molds from France when we got home. Apparently, the copper mold is the best way to get the crisp, like caramelized exterior, just like the originals. So we will be making cannelets soon. <laughs> so um, what else? They drove us about an hour outside of Bordeaux one day over to the West Coast, where we climbed the highest sand dune in Europe. And it was quite a hike, but it was totally worth it. So 
This is the point in the trip where I have a big story, crazy story to tell you. All right. So as I said before, we took trains down from St. Malo to Bordeaux. I think it was like two or three different trains. I can't remember exactly. Every time we moved locations during our trip, I would tuck my small crossbody purse into my small day pack backpack for transport. For some reason, this particular time, I didn't. I just slug it around my body in the morning separately from my backpack and roller suitcase. So you can see where this is going, right? <laughs> so we get on the first train, we switch to the next train, and about 10 minutes later, the guy's coming around looking for our tickets, and it makes me think about my purse all of a sudden. And I, I suddenly like look around and I'm frantic, as you can imagine, realizing I don't have it. I am 100% sure I either left it at the Airbnb or on the train. So the train guy was very helpful, and um, this is a point where Google Translate was very useful because he didn't actually speak much English, which we didn't experience very often, but the Google Translate app has a button where you can just like do a conversation mode, and it will you can speak in English, and it will translate into French. So anyways, so he promptly like messaged someone on the train that he knew that we were coming from to see if they would look for it. And my husband started canceling credit cards. Um, unfortunately, he came back about 10, 15 minutes later and said they didn't find it and that we would need to submit a like a lost and found ticket claim with SNCF, the train service. And then we would need to make our way to the American embassy to obtain a emergency passport. Well, the good news was that we knew we had enough time in Europe to like still get the passport. So that was doable. It was just was going to require forfeiting some of our plans, you know. Um, so I submitted the form to the SNCF train service, and then we just had to wait. So several hours later, once we'd already then arrived at my friend's house, we finally had a chance to tell them what happened. And the timing was crazy. Like at the exact same moment, moment that we were starting to tell them the story, I had an email pop through stating that the train service had found the purse. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Unfortunately, the whole email was in French, French, but fortunately we were with French people who could help. And honestly, the timing of this whole ordeal could not have happened at a better time and location. I mean, if we had lost it like in Amsterdam or in the UK or something like that, like it would have been, it would have really thrown off our plans as far as being able to get into another country, like especially going from London back to France. Anyway, so they read the email and find out we have to pay $10 to get a retrieval fee. Okay, no big deal. And that while the purse has been found, though, it was in Brest, France, which was on the very far northwest corner and a nine hour train ride essentially back the way we had come. And here's the thing. They were not allowed to ship the purse. It had to be picked up in person. Again, it's kind of like the whole passport thing. I'm like, we could do that if we had to, but it was just going to kill two or three days of our trip entirely. So here's where it turns happy. <laughs> Luckily, um, my friend's fiance had a colleague in Brest who he called and was able to arrange for her to pick up my purse um, after we wrote like an affidavit stating she could get it. Da, 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 da. Um, and we actually had them double check that my passport was actually still in the purse because that's the only thing we really cared about which luckily it was along with all of my cards and money. <laughs> Um, so thank you to all the honest French people. And then, so we had to organize a package to be sent from the UPS drop-off in Brest. So his, he, his colleague picked it up. She took it to the UPS drop-off in Brest and they organized for it to be sent to a UPS pickup location at a store 
on the Champs-Élysées in Paris for us to retrieve when we arrived four days later. What an ordeal. Oh my. <laughs> we are so thankful for our friends. And I will say they did have a lot of trouble actually with the UPS website and trying to organize the package. They actually had to do it like it took several hours of our weekend to get this all worked out. But in the end, it worked out. We retrieved the purse in Paris and amen. Thank you, Lord. I could come home. <laughs> what a story. <laughs> all right. So our final leg of the trip was Paris for six days. And we hit sites like the Palace of Versailles, the Eiffel Tower, the Arc de Triomphe, the Louvre Museum. And you know what we did a couple of times um, with the Versailles and the Louvre Museum. And I highly recommend is... If you um, have ever heard of Rick Steves, he has um, a show on PBS, really famous travel guide, lots of books and stuff. Um, we used his app and he has just great little like walk along guides. And that helped us get through the like the Louvre Museum and just kind of filter through some of the best things to see there. So I highly recommend using those. Um, we walked along the Champs-Élysées, of course, to retrieve my purse <laughs> and more. Um, being in Paris, I had to, of course, take a cooking class. So I settled on a macaroon class and it was a lot of fun. You know, baking isn't as much my thing as cooking, but anything that has to do with cooking and baking, I love. Um, I was trying to do a croissant class, but they were already booked, which is the kind of thing that happens when you don't plan too far out like we do, but that's okay. <laughs> I prefer being spontaneous anyway, and the macaroons were great. One thing we began to wonder in Paris is if anyone there ate at home. I mean, everywhere you walked, all you did was walk past restaurants. I am not even exaggerating. It was really interesting because as a person who just loves food, I was actually not overly wowed by any food we ate in Paris one bit. Granted, you know, we didn't eat at any fancy French food restaurants like, you know, Michelin stars or anything like that. But even so, it's funny, like I just felt like it was hard to weigh what restaurants would be better than others. Uh, like there were just so many of them. And a lot of times they had the same types of menus and so forth. So it was actually kind of hard. Of course, the croissants are amazing. And a traditional French breakfast would consist of a pastry of choice. Um, I'm telling you, the croissants, they just like flake everywhere and just like make a mess. And it is absolutely divine. <laughs> so a pastry of choice, a hot drink of choice, and a glass of freshly squeezed orange juice. And I, they had freshly squeezed orange juice machines everywhere. I mean, restaurants, grocery stores, and portable food carts. Like our friends we stayed with in Bordeaux, like they served us fresh squeezed orange juice every day at breakfast. And at first we thought it was just them, but apparently it is a French thing. Um, one other fun thing that we ate was something called raclette, which is apparently a Swiss dish, although the word raclette in French means to scrape, which is exactly what you do. It's basically a chunk of cheese that is put under a warmer and it slowly melts. And then you scrape the cheese onto your plate as it heats up and you eat it with boiled potatoes or bread. It's kind of like a fancy form of fondue, really. Whew, oh my goodness, that is so much stuff to tell you guys. I think I finally have kind of come to the end of all my highlights. I know it's a lot and I've really done my best to keep it to the point. I mean, we were gone 28 days, so that was a lot to cover. Um, I just wish I could share more, but time is always of the essence. So I hope I have brightened your day with all of these stories. Thanks for being here. Don't forget, if you want to take in more from our travels, including a list of lots of fun and interesting random observations, things such as 
Every shower we used in Europe had the exact same shower head, except for maybe a handful. You'll want to jump to the show notes for that link to the blog post on pianopantry.com. If you want to stay up to date with the Piano Pantry blog and podcast, you'll also find a link to subscribe in the show notes. I would love to hear from you about my stories today. Have you had any of the same experiences in Europe? Did you find this travel advice helpful? Connect with me online via Instagram at Amy Chaplin Piano or on Facebook at Piano Pantry. Wow, it has been a while since I've shared a fun fact. Now, you know me as a piano teacher, but back in my younger days, one of the first things I considered doing was being an accountant. I think the only reason is that math was one of my favorite subjects in school. And another thing I also considered was like when I was in the midpoint part of my career was being a chef. So essentially I got my undergrad degree in music ed and taught middle school and high school choir for three years while teaching piano part-time. Then we moved to Australia for my husband's job for three years and I worked for a temp agency in business while teaching piano part-time. When we returned to the US in 2009, I was either going to go be a chef or back to music school. The decision felt easy when a grad school assistantship basically landed in my lap and from there I went down the piano pedagogy route for my master's degree. The rest is history. Food is fun to me and who knows where it may take me in the future. See you next week, friends.